It was 1973. Residents of the Mandal village in Uttar Pradesh were protesting. Why? Because the sacred forests were in danger. They had been opened up to the industries to exploit them for lumber. And even as the villagers were protesting, the region was hit by one of the worst floods that killed over 200 people. The villagers realized the flood to be a direct fallout of the vanishing forests. So when loggers came in to cut more trees, a group of 30 women marched into the jungle and hugged the trees tight. Some even made human chains to shelter the bigger tree trunks, forcing the loggers to go back. This peaceful protest was nothing but the famous Chipko movement as we know it. The movement soon spread across the neighboring villages and ultimately the district of Chamoli, now in Uttarakhand. But 50 years on, today Chamoli is staring at a bleak future, having lost a considerable green cover over the past five decades. The cutting of millions of trees, heavy urbanization, and hundreds of power plants have exposed the Himalayan region to natural disasters. So, when last month houses in Joshimat reported cracks, many were alarmed, but not surprised. We've been seeing what look like doomsday pictures from Joshimat. The sacred town of our country is gradually sinking due to land subsidence. करीब 40 साल पहले ही इसकी आहट हो गई थी। अब विनाश बढ़ा है तो फिर जोशीमठ की याद आई है। This brought back decades of warnings from the environmentalists and scientists that successive governments have ignored. So will this tragedy now wake up the government? What about the fate of thousands of residents who have become homeless overnight in the middle of a chilling winter? How many जोशीमठ्स are there in the country? And why just the hills? Aren't some of our cities facing such ecological dangers too? All this and much more in today's episode of the Morning Brief, where I speak to Shivani Azad, my colleague from the Times of India, Dehradun, who's been reporting from Ground Zero. All you want is development. All you want to turn Uttarakhand into Delhi. Why? We are losing on everything. Uttarakhand is losing on everything one by one. Ravi Chopra, a research scientist with four decades of experience in dealing with developmental and environmental issues in the Himalayan belt, you are willing to spend twenty thousand crores on some central vista in New Delhi, but you are only spending twelve thousand crores on an eight hundred and eighty-nine kilometer road widening project in uh, the high Himalayas. What kind of nonsense is this? And Dr. B. Mahendra, who was at the helm of town planning for the Bangalore Metropolitan Region Development Authority. The interference by the policymakers or the administrators is too much in the preparation of a master plan. It's Thursday, the second of Feb. I'm Kalpana Patak from the Economic Times, and you are listening to "Are We Also Living in a Joshi Mutt?" on the Morning Brief. For centuries, Joshimat was a small town, gateway to famous pilgrimage sites Badrinath and Hemkund Sahib. It is flanked by two rivers, Alaknanda and Dholi Ganga, which make it vulnerable to natural disasters. Exactly a year ago, an avalanche of rock and snow broke from the Ronti mountain, causing flash floods. Nearly 68 people were killed, and 136 reported missing. 
Then in September, a few residents of Joshimat began noticing the earliest cracks in their homes. The land had begun to sink. And by January, we had 800 homes recording cracks and 200 of these were marked unsafe to live. موکھیہ سارے مکان دھسنے کے کگار میں آگے ہیں اور یہ لوگ ہماری سود نہیں لے رہے میں تو یہ بھی کہہ دینا چاہتا ہوں جتنے پاور پروجیکٹ یہاں پہ بنے جو کیچمنٹ ٹیٹمنٹ کا جو پیسہ خرچ کیا گیا اس کی بھی جانچ ہونی چاہیے وہ آج تک کہاں ہوا میں تو یہ کہتا ہوں جو سمٹ کے لوگوں سب لوگ چیتنا میں آ جاؤ روڈ پہ آ جاؤ سڑک پہ آ جاؤ اور یہ سرکار کی اینٹ سے اینٹ بجا دو تاکہ ان کو پتہ چلے رات کو بچے روڈ پہ آگے ان کو پتہ چلنا چاہیے The resident spoke to my colleague Shivani Azad who reports for the Times of India. She told me that even as evacuations continue, the erratic weather is making life that much harder and adding to the economic and emotional stress. So there is a sense of panic among people because they really don't know what next. So Uttarakhand because uh, the weather is quite erratic these days. In Chamoli, above 2200 meters, there is a production of heavy snowfall. So in that scenario, the cracks and the fissures will increase as per the scientist. And especially with the snowfall and rains, the situation goes all the more precarious. What about the business community since Joshimat is also a tourist spot? I remember we had done a story talking about these business community, how stressed they are for a simple reason that this is one of their peak times to earn money. You know, there's snowfall in Nolly, we have winter games happening. We have so much tourism happening in that area because there's a lot of uncertainty now. So the business community has a different level of stress altogether. We got to know that they have various, various shopkeepers, traders have picked up loan to the amount of rupees 200 crore from different banks, including SBI and all. There are around 502 registered shopkeepers in this particular Joshimat Vyapar Sangh. And there are thousands there. There are over 200 homestays. So you see a lot of business communities also affected there. I would like to add in here, which is very important component here, that the students, you know, their examination, board examinations, which are commencing from February 15th onwards. And there are like five schools in that area. Two of them are clearly under-affected area. So there are 150-plus students who are impacted by it. These students, I remember going to one of the rehab centers there in Nagarpalika. So there's this old lady, she, she's upset. She was just showing her grandson and she was saying to me that it's been two years. We saw COVID. These children didn't go to school. And now this Joshimat crisis, we don't know what is going to happen with the future of these children. Understood. Are there other areas in Uttarakhand as vulnerable as Joshimat is right now? And what is the government's plan to avert any such crisis in other areas? So Kalpana, as you would be knowing the geography of Uttarakhand, it inherently this is a place which is very vulnerable to natural disasters. That's how Uttarakhand is. 
So when you talk of Joshimat vis-a-vis other parts of the state, they are vulnerable places. Let's say Karanpriyag is one of them. Cracks have been appearing. Gochar is one of them, close to Chamoli. Then you have Pithoragad. We have Nainital. So there are places in uh, Masuri as well, near Lindor. So there are several places, there are certain patches which are really vulnerable. And whatever works need to be done, needs to be done with a lot of attention. So yeah, Uttarakhand and all is a very, very, seismically very, very vulnerable state. It needs to be handled with care by all means. All right. Okay. Shivani, I want to ask you that in your career as an environment journalist so far, what has been your experience on this beat in terms of the environmental laws being followed or flouted in the region? I personally feel a lot can be saved even now. There is no hurry to do development. There shouldn't be any kind of competition to do development. Especially when you know you will lose all those things which you can never get back. I remember reporting one thing in last 20 years. Uttarakhand was formed in 2000. In last 20 years, Uttarakhand has lost about 50,000 hectares of forest area. So that's a huge number. And majority of it, I remember, was for mining, hydropower plants and roadworks. All you want is development. All you want to turn Uttarakhand into Delhi. It shouldn't be so. So I, I think me as someone who's working in this particular domain, I would say do development, but be very mindful about it. Consult the best possible scientists you have. And, and you'll be happy to know Uttarakhand, Dehradun has Wadia Institute of Himalayan Geology, Dehradun has Wildlife Institute of India, Dehradun has Forest Research Institute. Why I'm naming all these here? Because it has the best of the scientists a lot of country here. Despite of it, we are seeing so much devastation. Why is it so? Why our scientists are not really opening up or freely giving their views? You're talking of migration. I remember speaking to one of the residents of Joshimat who told me, Madam, you know, migration ke baare mein rote rehte hain, lekin migration to khudi karwate rehte hain na. Kabhi inko kahi pe hydropower plant banana hain, kabhi inko rail le jana hain, kabhi inko road bana rahi hain. Where will the villages go? They are pushed for migrating themselves. You'll be happy to know the robust ratio we have here of wildlife vis-a-vis human. We have around 1,800 plus elephants. We have some 400 plus tigers. We have some 1,000 plus leopards. So in such a lovely state where we are, we are blessed with biodiversity, why are we being pushed for this kind of development? Nobody needs it. Nobody, literally. And all those who need it, the business community, they are also, they don't come up openly, but they do say that it has to be very sustainable sort of development. Otherwise, we are losing on everything. Uttarakhand is losing on everything one by one. The losses are not limited just to Joshimat. Currently, three major construction projects are underway at Joshimat. These include the NTPC Tapovan Vishnugad Hydro Project, the Border Road Organization's Helang Marwari Bypass, which is supposed to reduce the distance to Badrinath by 30 kilometers, and the Chardham Road Widening Project. Locals and environmentalists believe that blasting and tunneling punctured an underground water source, making the land unstable. The government has rejected all these claims. With 16 rivers, Uttarakhand makes for an obvious choice for hydropower projects. 
No wonder then that there are 650 hydropower projects planned or under execution in the Himalayan and Hindukush region, many of them in the earthquake-prone zones. The importance for hydropower is that startup time for generation is very minimal, and this helps in meeting peak power requirements. In 2016, the government launched the Chardham project, a two-lane highway plan to connect the four important pilgrim towns of Badrinath, Kedarnath, Gangotri, and Yamunotri. Experts held that chopping of trees and excavation at the base of the hills was damaging the ecosystem. So the Supreme Court appointed a high-powered committee to look into the concerns. Ravi Chopra, who chaired this committee, termed the road widening project to be an assault on the Himalayas and saw a disaster coming in Joshimat. Joshimat friends had told me in September of last year that the slope instability there had become quite serious as cracks were developing in several houses. By late November, I realized that this increasing cracks could be a sign of an impending disaster. Earlier, I was aware of the Mishra Committee's report that Joshimat is located on old landslide debris with the implication that its soil has limited load-bearing capacity and therefore heavy infrastructure should not be built on it. After the sudden discharge of water in December 2009 in Joshimut, two Garhwal University geologists had warned that the sudden dewatering could lead to ground subsidence in the area. Now, this warning has also been repeated more recently by the U.S. Geological Survey. In 2014, the Supreme Court ordered expert body, which I was heading, highlighted a new danger in that area, saying that no dams should be built in the high Himalayan paraglacial region around Joshimut. This uh, warning came true in the glacial flood of February 2021, which destroyed the Tapovan Vishnugarh project barrage and filled the tunnel inside the Joshimat mountain with debris and floodwaters. So all along there were these episodes giving us signals that the slope was unstable. So it was well known. How much do you think our energy policies and ambitions are responsible for this? It's interesting that this country, successive governments in this country have followed the energy policy, which was devised around 2007 or so, and in which a target had been set that we will generate, we will install about 148,000 megawatt hydro capacity in the country. Now, 70% of this capacity lies in the Himalayan region. Now, it appears that all these governments have been reluctant to review its energy policy of 15 years ago and uh, look at other alternatives that are safer, for example, solar energy. Okay? So, that's where the crisis lies. And, of course, there's a very powerful construction lobby. When I was heading the committee on dams, I was repeatedly not only 
told about this, but also exposed to the power of that lobby. So, Mr. Chopra, we've often heard that environmentalists and local people are not involved in the planning of infrastructure projects. What has been your experience in that regard? Your concern is quite true. They do get sometimes called to serve on policy-related committees. But when it comes to executing those policies on the ground in terms of infrastructure, they are never involved. And I think it is high time that professionally trained environmentalists are hired by engineering organizations, departments, and agencies, and their input should guide the planning. Unfortunately, over the years, after the Environmental Protection Act was legislated and EIA rules were introduced, environmental impact assessment rules, the entire regulatory system of environment scrutiny has been steadily and deliberately weakened under the garb of ease of business reforms. So that's why we are kept out of the planning of infrastructure projects. And we normally learn about them from the media after they have been sanctioned. So environmentalists and local people begin to complain when they learn of these projects, if they think that the projects are going to do more harm than good, or there is some way that the projects can be made better, they speak up. But Sunta hai? Despite all these warnings, official committees, there's no acceptance of their recommendations. The regions where the projects are located, that's where the victims are. And the beneficiaries are somewhere else where the power is being delivered. Okay, this has been going on since the Narmada and the Terry dams. Now, ideally, the local people should be involved in the planning of these projects. Another way to handle this is that we've had a tradition in this country that local communities manage their local natural resources. It was the British who came and changed it and set up the departments and transferred all the, in the name of uh, sovereign rights, transferred all the control of the natural resources to the state. But I think the time has come to genuinely empower the panchayats and local communities, particularly the Gram Sabhas, to manage their local natural resources. Understood. So do you think that after what has happened in Joshi Mutt, government may probably pay heed to the warnings now and relook at the projects that it's doing? No, I'm not very hopeful. And for good reason. Just a few days ago, the Union Minister for Power, Mr. R.K. Singh, who was speaking at Davos, And he said that the government intended to go ahead with the construction of hydropower projects in the Himalayan region. He was very categorical. Now, Republic Day, a big ad in the newspaper, full page ad. And what does it say? The government is now announcing very boldly that they are launching initiatives and several infrastructure projects are listed including a rail line from Doiwala near Dehradun up to Gangotri and Yamnotri. So, this is 
वार्निंग्स हैं कोई सुन नहीं रहा है एंड दिस कम्स यू नो एज समी पॉइंटेड आउट दैट पीपल आर नाउ कंप्लेनिंग फ्रॉम अदर टाउन इन उत्तराखंड that they are uh, witnessing cracks after some whether it's a railway project or it's a road project they are witnessing these things in other parts of the state all right mr chopra we've also learnt and we've read about the fact that it's not only other parts of uttarakhand but also regions like sikkim darjeeling where a similar occurrence has been seen what are your thoughts there you know without trying to sensationalize the issue i believe that there is a cause for concern the himalaya being very young mountain ranges still in their formative stage are very fragile and therefore any kind of infrastructural major infrastructural project should be undertaken after very careful geological geophysical geotechnical analysis okay investigations their carrying capacity of the mountain slopes has to be assessed and if possible these projects should be avoided but if they are essential then the kind of detailed investigations i have said should be done without taking any financial shortcuts you know sometimes we get impressed like the chardham pariyojana so the government makes an announcement 12000 crore rupees will be spent on this pariyojana and we get impressed are 12000 crores lot of money but i can assure you that when we were investigating as the supreme court committee chairman when i went into the field to investigate the processes of road widening there were so many things that had not been done and when these were raised the engineers on the ground would say sir kharcha bad jayega now you are willing to spend 20000 crores on some central vista in new delhi but you are only spending 12000 crores on an 889 kilometer road widening project in the high himalayas what kind of nonsense is this so i'm not surprised that there are these uh, reports from other parts of the himalayan region because the kind of care that is required if any construction has to be done in this region is simply not there all right mr chopra after last february floods the national disaster management authority in its report observed that india should learn from best practices internationally any examples you can share so there are safer uh, practices that one can adopt for example in the context of the chardham pariyojana we all talk about making uttarakhand or himachal or sikkim like switzerland switzerland is supposed to be the model but in switzerland you don't have 10 meter wide autobahns highways expressways you have narrower roads so we could learn from their design features in fact in our uh, committee's report that was submitted in july 2020 we did give such a design and i'm told that now that design is going to be implemented on a small part of the road to yamnotri that's good to hear mr chopra i wanted to ask you your thoughts on the 72000 crore rupees great nikoba project which will see diversion of forest land for a port airport power plant and greenfield township i must confess that i have not studied this issue 
but there is room for great caution here also because many cyclones originate annually in the indian ocean westward from indonesia and often they threaten the andaman nicobar islands now we are in the midst of climate change and with rising ocean temperatures the frequency of these cyclones is likely to increase is going to increase and forests are the first line of defense against climate related disasters many of us know that um, a few years ago when the isla cyclone hit west bengal it was the mangroves that reduced the impact of that cyclone and saved lot of lives agricultural land and livelihoods so all i can say is that if it's absolutely necessary and you have to do something for defense purposes etc then the maximum amount of care and caution that is required will be undertaken don't forget that the andaman nicobar islands are also at the tail end of an earthquake prone a seismic region but uh, one of the plans of the government is that it is to take an afforestation exercise in haryana and madhya pradesh so the trees that they'd be doing away with or cutting in the nicobar island would be compensated by uh, planting trees in haryana and madhya pradesh to me that sounds a little ridiculous but does this work do we i mean does this strategy actually work all i can say is it is laughable and you are right it's totally ridiculous because as i pointed out the cyclones are going to take place in the indian ocean not in haryana so you can claim to the world at some cop conference some years later that look the forest area of india has increased but that hides the fact that in some critical area the forest got cut down our springs are gone our forests are gone our rivers are polluted there's much more work to be done and lots of jobs can be created in doing this if we want to do it honestly and finally you know gandhi ji's dictum is there that earth has enough for everybody's needs but not for anybody's greed it is this greed and negligence that is causing tragedies like joshimat climate change is here and yet we are not willing to change our ways beat the swanky gurugram amchi mumbai or india silicon valley bangalore even a slight drizzle is enough to bring out the worst in our cities the air quality index seldom goes below hazardous and unhealthy levels buildings have replaced the lakes and mangroves have made way for ports bridges and coastal roads Dr B Mahendra who authored the revised master plan for Bangalore city in 2015 blames political interference in city planning for all the chaos that has befallen our cities see whenever you get into the system of administration the administrators and the policy makers never give due share to the planners see whenever a master plan is prepared we'll have lot of challenges the interference by the policy makers or the administrators is too much in the preparation of a master plan because they will have their own agenda which they want to enforce through the planners if the planners doesn't follow what they need to follow based on the planning principles 
the chaos or the disasters all will happen and finally for the mistake of xyz the planners are blamed as a city planner dr mahendra how do master plans undergo changes that they shouldn't what happened in the case of bangalore see the issue is like we drafted the the master plan for bangalore with all our vision commitment we drafted even a vision document also what it is what it should be the problem is it is the implementation this master plan is being used misused and abused for pecuniary reasons once a master plan is prepared we are not supposed to deviate from the master plan which is a statutory document approved by the government the government itself wants to change the land use officially and unofficially ultimately there will be a lot of pressure on the planners and the administrators and the administrators for various reasons follow the instructions of the government the government means the political setup the very aim of or the task of preparing a master plan get defeated within no time and the result will be what we are seeing like joshimat or flooding of cities with small rainfalls and so many chaos why the slums are coming up you tell me when you have a master plan there is no space for uh, slums you are not proposed for creation of a slum right but how slums are coming the civic agents are sleeping over the issue they allow the slums to develop once the slums are developed we start talking about rehabilitation redevelopment why can't we wake up and create spaces for the people who are the have nots see it's a fight between haves and have nots which we don't understand when it is really required to be understood this is the bane of our planning and the urban development okay so dr mahindra our cities are expanding we are growing every year what is uh, the way for us to make our cities more sustainable what is a better way to plan for cities now the best way would be to densify the existing mass transportation corridors first and foremost and the infrastructure has to be taken care of as you said the cities are growing in an area where the population is 1000 will increase to 1500 then automatically the requirement of road space increases the requirement of water consumption increases the discharge of sewage increases the garbage increases but we have the old system which is in place which cannot be expanded immediately but the population increases very fast what i suggest is you optimize and densify the transportation corridors that is what we are calling the buzzword as the transit oriented development you go for that beyond that capacity don't allow any extra development there instead of that you go for the satellite towns or the expansion of the city in the outer fringe unless we follow this with the rapid urbanization you cannot allow it to go the way it is going then it's only the calamities which will be seeing otherwise there is no future for us The Joshima tragedy has shown that development and growth cannot come at the cost of environment. It forces one to think. Is it really important to turn ecologically sensitive areas into tourist spots? What if we cap the number of visitors coming to these towns annually? 
Will the loss of revenue be more than the cost of rehabilitation of these homes? What if a tourism tax is imposed as a deterrent? Will the locals still protest? Can they not, along with the environmentalists and scientists, be brought on board in planning of infrastructure projects? Are the government's priorities misplaced? The Joshima tragedy clearly shows that. One cannot strip a region of its green cover and compensate for that by planting trees elsewhere. The 72,000 crore rupees multi-development project in Great Nicobar Islands is a case in point. And with climate change in the picture, it makes planning and execution so much more complicated. Are we prepared? Fear of finding out is a term from medical psychology. But it perfectly applies to governments being reluctant to investigate an issue for the fear that it will reveal potential failures and lapses on their part. Unfortunately, the long-term adverse impact of development projects gone wrong lasts much longer than the tenure of the governments. That's all for today from me Kalpana Patak. You were listening to Are We Also Living in a Joshi Mat on the Morning Brief. A big thank you to our guests Mr. Chopra Shivani and Dr. Mahendra for their amazing insights. And thank you for tuning into this podcast brought to you by Team Economic Times. Show producer Vinay Joshi and Sumit Pandey. Sound editor Rajesh Naik, executive producers Anupriya Nair, Anirban Chaudhary, and Aurajit Barman. We hope you like this episode. Do share it on your social media networks. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. The Morning Brief is available on Amazon Prime Music and Jio Seven, apart from Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and of course, ET's own audio platform, ET Play. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners.